When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Fancy something different for tea? Get takeaway delivery now via Deliveroo and Uber Eats. Hello, welcome to Football Social Daily, the podcast bringing you your fix of Premier League news and opinion. Just one week to go, seven days away now from the Premier League restart. And when things do kick off again, we'll be bringing you podcasts every single day of the rest of the season. So hit subscribe now and you won't ever miss one. On today's Football Social Daily, we'll be checking up on the Newcastle United takeover. Some reporters say the Saudi Arabians haven't given a second thought to failing the Premier League's owners and directors test. Others say the longer this takes to go through, the less likely it is to happen. We'll discuss. Also, the CIES Football Observatory have revealed their latest ratings and we'll get stuck into who they think are the most valuable players in the world. The top five make for very interesting reading and no place in the top 40, yes, 40 for Cristiano Ronaldo. Plus, we'll talk about the Merseyside derby. It looks as if that match will take place at Goodison Park after all. There were suggestions it could be played as far away as Southampton. Liverpool could secure the title just a couple of hundred yards across Stanley Park at their city rivals. And of course, it wouldn't be Football Social Daily without a dive into the latest transfer gossip gracing the back pages. I'm Niall. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And with me on today's show, the deadly duo of Steve McNaughton. Hello, Steve. Hello, Niall. You okay, mate? I'm good, and Marley Anderson as well. Hi, Marley. Hello. Right, let's kick off with things up in the northeast. Newcastle United have been up for sale for a while now. There have been so many false dawns and non-starters in terms of takeover talks that Toon fans take every rumour they hear now with a pinch of salt. But then the Saudis came along. They had the 300 odd million that Mike Ashley was asking for. They were fronted by a familiar face in Amanda Staveley. It actually felt like things were getting off the ground. Mike Ashley was going to be gone and the ownership of that famous old club would change hands eventually. But that was two months ago. And here we still are, unsure of what's going on. Some journalists are saying that the Saudis are chilled out about the whole thing taking ages. Others are saying they're starting to get a bit annoyed. I feel the longer things take, the less likely we are 
of seeing a deal, in my opinion. But obviously, the Premier League have had a lot going on with coronavirus. They're spinning a lot of plates. I suppose the best person to ask in this situation would be you, Marley, as a Newcastle United fan. It seems like there's two schools of thought here. They're the ones that think, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. And the ones that think, well, the longer this takes, the more twitchy I'm getting about a deal falling through. Yeah, it's interesting you said... uh... It's worth asking me rather like as a fan rather than somebody who actually understands what the hell's going on because I have no no <laughs> clue what is taking so long. Um and in in a normal situation you'd be uh, you'd be I'd be on your side as it as in erring on the side of the longer things take, the less likely they are to happen if you think of, of pretty much any example, the longer something takes, especially a negotiation, usually the less um favourable the outcome in terms of you know what you want and what you want to come from the whole thing so um i understand that the only the only sort of reason i think is of why i've not fully just given up on this uh this whole situation is that the fact that they're trying to complete a takeover in literally the worst time to like the sort of most uncertain time of the last i don't know 100 and odd years like of anything like this is such a strange time for anything to happen that everyone's got so much on the plate in in all parts of this takeover the the seller uh mike ashley has other interest in his retail stuff and he's uh flogging his donair tracksuits and slazenger socks and the buyers have got a lot of stuff going on <laughs> the public investment fund of saudi arabia they've got their fingers in a few pies i would assume um there's the distance of the whole thing you know everything's got to be done by I've can't be face to face everything's got to be different and just the whole thing I, I would assume that's why it's taking so long um the, no journalists seem to have a track record of getting things right when it comes to things like this there hasn't usually at clubs there's one journalist who fans like trust more than anyone else if you think of like David Ornstein at uh, at the Athletic for for Arsenal he's pr- he's practically like god down there anything he says is true um (laughs) but newcastle don't really have that they have a few good reporters who are reliable but all them they're all in the dark about this they don't know what's going on they don't know why this is taking so long um and neither do the fans and everyone just kind of wants answers and i think that's uh that's where we are now as fans. We're just sort of waiting. It's it's kind of a nice thing that the football's coming back quickly because it's it's sort of um, taking the it's giving the fans something else to focus on as well as uh, why the hell's this this thing not going through and what's taking so long. But if we're, we're all led to believe it's still there, it's still on the table, and it's it's in the hands of the Premier League and the well the the miles and miles of red tape they've got to go through with uh, the human rights records and all the rest of it so you know maybe uh maybe it will come come good i don't know it's it's anyone's guess at the minute but i'm hoping it goes through in the end yeah i mean i think the resumption of premier league action in a week's time is probably where the focus of the premier league has been transfixed steve to be honest with you you know the keenness of the premier league to get things back up and running again and we've spoken about how sort of flustered it's all felt from being sort of zero to a hundred in the space of a couple of weeks, all of a sudden we're going to have Premier League football back again. Do you think that that's really been the the main cause of this takeover taking so long to complete? Because the Premier League have been focusing mainly on just getting the action back again. I think getting the action back has has been paramount for the Premier League, but 
let's have it right. There's going to be a compliance team in the Premier League that will be looking at this and, and doing the due diligence on it. It's not going to be completely parked by the Premier League at this stage. Um, they, will, they will still be looking into this. I think there's two trains of thought I've got this. I'm desperate for it to go through for fans like Marley and, and you know who support Newcastle through thick and thin because they do deserve some, some good fortune and something to drop for them um, in terms of what they've gone through with Mike Ashley. Uh, the, the second part of it is that I think we'd all like it to um, you know, be a bit more clear-cut what's going on. I think the complexities of the situation are really difficult. Um, you know, Marley's just mentioned that you know, the human rights record, for example, is, is a major concern. And even though there's a lot going on to address that, and there's been some, some legislation change in, in Saudi Arabia, which is fantastic, um, We've got this piracy issue looming as well, and I think the Premier League will take mm. a very grim view of this alleged, uh, you know, piracy that's been going on for quite a long time in the country. Because you know, it could come to the point, and if they look at it and say, "Well, how much, you know, does Saudi Arabia owe us in in lost revenue?" Um, that might be a major sticking point that they've got to go through. But I think. It's the uncertainty that's the problem for everyone. You know, the Newcastle fans like Marley and, and you know, people he knows and the people that go and watch him week in, week out are desperate to get rid of Mike Ashley. They're desperate for this to go through. So they can plan accordingly. And, you know, if it does go through, Newcastle will have some lofty ambitions quite early on. They're wanting to be signing players of a certain calibre that probably haven't been on the radar before. And, and they'll be wanting to recruit a manager that, that fits the profile of a company that's, trying to increase its brand positioning around the world, uh, you know, as a Premier League club. And But, you know, first and foremost, you know, the club needs to mobilise and get organised if the takeover does go through because there'll be a looming transfer window, uh, you know, where they'll want to get organised and they'll want to assess the squad and they'll want to speak to targets and they'll want to agree contracts and pay the money to get them in. So it's, I mean, I don't know what's happening with the Premier League transfer window. I've seen something yesterday. I just glanced at, um, you know, I'm saying it may be open till October. Um, but I think we just need a yes or a no on it, really, as as far as everyone's concerned. You know, it'd be great for Newcastle to be able to kind of massively move forward up the table and put some things in place that do get them aiming for more lofty ambitions. You know, but at the minute, it's just all the uncertainty that's the problem. Yesterday, Marley marks 13 years since Mike Ashley took control of Newcastle United Football Club. Now, 13 years doesn't sound like ages but when you've been in that situation as a supporter and you've seen Newcastle go through a couple of relegations um, you've been through tough times you've not really been competing you know that must feel like an absolute age yeah and it it, it, it has been yeah I mean it's 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 nearly half my life I suppose um, in terms of when you you know when you're growing up and you don't really like you don't think about like what football like costs and stuff. You know when you so when you go to a match, it's like it's your dad that's paying paying for your ticket, or your uncle, or your mum, or whoever's taking you, your sister, your brother, whatever. Like when you get old enough to go, like at eighteen or nineteen or whatever, you, whatever you are, to go up there and to then like buy a ticket and have a day out at the football when you've got an owner like Mike Ashley is just not a a good thing. It's not. It's just not what you want to do. For example, like last year, you know, I I had a free weekend and I was like, hang on, 
let's uh, let's see how much the Newcastle tickets are. Obviously, I live in Manchester. Um, I don't want to give Mike Ashley much of my money. I want to give him as little as possible because it's it's going against what I agree with with the club. I don't like how he's running it. I don't like our ambition. Um, and I put it into sort of context. I, I added it all up, and it was a minimum of thirty-seven quid for a ticket. That was in the 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 upper tier of the uh, of the stadium at St James's. Um, so that was thirty-seven quid. The petrol it would cost me to get up there and back was was another thirty quid. There's sixty, sixty-seven, nearly seventy were on. Then you look at uh, you look at your you know your snacks and your couple of beers at half time. You're talking hundred quid for the entire day and. I looked at myself and I was like, "Why? I don't want to spend a hundred quid for one for ninety minutes of watching Steve Bruce play, you know, seven defenders and hope to hit." I can't remember who it was. I think it might, I don't know Arsenal or something on the counter attack for ninety minutes because it's just not a good way. It's not a good way to spend a Saturday. It's not. Uh, it's not good as a fan to good like to to pin it all on that and spend hundred quid for the privilege. And then obviously there's the thing that. Like, I'm trying to save up for a wedding that's already been postponed once, so uh, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been the most popular man in my household. But uh, it, it's just one of them. It's like that is Mike Ashley sort of sucks the love out of it for you, and you know we've we've had a team that hasn't properly tried for 13 years. We've had a a team that's profit first rather than um, rather than you know trying to make a go of things and. I don't want people to feel sorry for Newcastle by any means. There's there's way more, way more owners out there that are a hell of a lot worse than Mike Ashley. If you look at Berry and Bolton and all the the clubs, the endless clubs in the football league that have had uh, shocking owners, they put it into context of what it could be. But I mean, in terms of of ambition and and what you want to see from your football club, it's not a good way to spend 13 years. The, the only thing you got to show for it is two two championship titles after going down. I mean, nobody wants to win the championship title because that means you've been relegated from the Premier League for the first time in the Premier League era. So, you know, 26, 28 years of the Premier League or whatever it's been, and we'd never been down until Mike Ashley came, and then we've been down twice in, in 13 years, which we were lucky to come back from twice, I suppose, because we had the right mix of, of players to get us back for the first time. But there's honestly not much... Not much like stopping us being a, a Bradford or a, a, a Sunderland, even like you know what I mean. Like we it, just about got back up. It did feel like or bust at, at that period as well. Like Mike Ashley was just going to spend the money he had to spend to get you back up into the Premier League because obviously that asset of Newcastle United becomes far less valuable in the Championship. And although the Championship's still an attractive proposition, and there are some huge football clubs in that division, being a Premier League club immediately increases your stock massively so I think that it kind of felt like Mike Ashley was only willing to kind of dig Newcastle out of a hole when they got into the hole in the first place you know instead of maybe making sure that they didn't fall down into the hole he just let let it happen and then built the ladder to get them out again rather than kind of ensuring that it never happened in the first place yeah and that's that's the thing I mean obviously fans football fans understand that they understand that you have to spend a lot of money to to even tread water in the Premier League you don't you don't. Uh, it doesn't take long for you to start sinking if you don't spend money or you spend it in the wrong places. Um, so that's that's something that they knew, and Mike Ashley probably didn't. As a as a businessman coming into football, he's happy to to um, see the crisis and then try and get him out of it. So he's he's not bothered about 
going for Europe when it costs maybe two hundred million pound of investment, and you've you've got a one in, I don't know, probably like a twenty percent chance of getting there if you uh, if you take it on. It's not a good gamble if you think about football as a as a business way. It's a terrible. You've got to take a hell of a lot of gambles to even get to where the real money is, and the real money is Europe in in the Europa League and more specifically the Champions League. And you've got six teams going for that who are way way more bringing way more revenue than you. So to go for it is a is a bad a bad business move. It's a it's a hell of a gamble, and he's not a gambler. Mike Ashley is a he's a penny pincher. He's a a, a smart businessman, and that is. That's why he's a multi multi like multi millionaire. He's got his fingers in all kinds of pies, literally and metaphorically. Uh and he's you know, it's he's not suited to football business, which is what's uh, annoyed all the Newcastle fans for, for thirteen years now. Yeah, again it feels like a case of wait and see when talking about the Newcastle United takeover. Now, Marley says he doesn't want to spend 100 quid on watching Steve Bruce ball, but um, he might want to spend 100 quid watching some of these players because there are some world-class players in the latest CIES Football Observatory ratings. Now, if you're unsure about who CIES are, they're a well-respected group who crunch the numbers and put everything through a computer and figure out which players are the most valuable football players on planet Earth right now. And I'll read you out the top 10. Harry Kane, Alfonso Davis. Antoine Griezmann, Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah, Marcus Rashford, Trent Alexander-Arnold, and now we're into the top three, Jadon Sancho, Raheem Sterling, and miles out in front as the most valuable player in the world, Kylian Mbappe. Now, so much to talk about when you look at this graph here and how much these players are worth, but the overriding thing that actually Marley pointed it out to me, and I, I didn't notice it until he did, was that four of the top five, Steve, are English players. Marcus Rashford, Alexander-Arnold, Sancho and Sterling. And it's only Mbappe who's the anomaly there. So, I mean, that's really encouraging, is it not? Yeah, you know, English football's in rude health at the minute. We've got some really top young players. And what's quite interesting, bar the, the exception of Raheem Sterling, who's 25 years of age, Jadon Sancho, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Marcus Rashford are between the ages of 20 and 22 as well. So these lads haven't even peaked yet. Uh, they've not hit the full potential yet, and I just think that it's really, really exciting. And, you know, when we're talking about potential world beater, you know, you, you, you could pick any of the four of them. Really, I think Raheem Sterling's got a really big season coming up. I think if he does continue his very steep upward trajectory that he's gone up in the last couple of years, I think we've got an incredible player on our hands, and uh, he's maturing as well. He's doing. And saying a lot of the right things, and and you know his performances on the pitch are, uh, are indicating that. But Sancho, outstanding. He's just so exciting. He's not going to stay at Dortmund. I think someone is going to end up paying the money for him, and he's having such an impact in the games that he's playing. Obviously, he's got the hat trick recently, hasn't he? And um, Trent is, you know, without a doubt, the best the best right back in the world. You know, I don't even think it's particularly close. Uh, with anyone else, um, you know, don't come at me with a WB from Man United. Um, I don't even think it's a close race. And and Rashford is incredible. You know, he's he, he get into. I think he would walk into any Premier League team and, and a lot of the teams in world football. I think it's absolutely brilliant that we're in a situation where we're saying we've got these four English lads in the top five, you know, players in the world, and uh, we've not. I, I certainly don't remember that in my lifetime. And um, I think there'll be more to come as well. I think 
some of these teams have got you know really good lads that have got the potential to kick on. You know, I think Phil Foden's got a big year ahead of him. You know, I think Harvey Elliott has got uh, a, a big year ahead of him. He is going to be utilised at Liverpool more, which is why they're being a bit reticent to spend you know money in the transfer market. And then you've got a host of you know good players at Chelsea as well. Um, you know, with the likes of Mason Mount. Who, who, who you know I could name her and I think if them guys do continue to progress the way they are I think it's absolutely brilliant what's interesting for me Marley is is how far ahead Kylian Mbappe is uh, of the rest he's supposedly according to CIES worth 259.2 million euros which is just a staggering amount of money but it's easy to forget that he is only 21 he's already won the world cup and you know he's got the whole world at his feet but I suppose the point I wanted to make about this is that if we're talking about the strength of the English league, the Premier League, PSG top the list, but they're the only French club in sight. There's no other French clubs in the top 20. There's barely any German clubs, aside from the exceptions of Alfonso Davis, who looks like he's going to be a brilliant fullback from Canada. And Jaden Sancho, of course, who is English, but he's at Borussia Dortmund. I mean, there's not really much um, in terms of La Liga players here or Bundesliga players. It's pretty much dominated by Premier League players. So does that kind of dispel the myth that the Premier League is the most competitive league, but doesn't have the most talented players in it? Does that put that myth to bed? Um, there's there's clearly a point there, isn't there? I mean, if you look at, I'm just counting up, uh, looking at the list, there's one, two, three, four, five, six. I mean, there's like ten or eleven in the top twenty that are in that are in the Premier League, and that's that's clearly an indication of where where the talent is. It's it's also an indication of where the money is. Let's let's not get that twisted. I mean, there is a hell of a lot of money in the Premier League, and you look at the amount. That PSG had to pay to get Mbappe to to France, um, well not to France, to to them rather than let him disappear to to uh, Real Madrid, and it was something like 160 million. And this kid was it was he 18 when he moved to PSG, 160 million quid. And I mean the ramifications of FFP. I mean if they sign Neymar and Mbappe in one season, then realised that FFP was a thing, so I had to loan Mbappe for a year before um, triggering a clause, which was that if PSG didn't get relegated, they would pay the money to um, to make, to make his, his move permanent. So there's an FFP thing there. I mean, it, that's just showing you how much other leagues have to do to, to afford these sums and to, to compete with the Premier League. And you look at the, the amount of players that are on that list. I mean, Mason Mount makes it into the top 20. I think he's rated at 102.5 million. Um, he's, I mean, it's mainly because he's 21. I'm not entirely sure he's one of the best, the most valuable players in the world right now, but it certainly tells you um, of his um, of his potential with the likes of the players around him. You know, he's on, he's on the same list as De Ligt and De Jong, um, who are came through that Ajax Academy. Uh Harry Kane's in there, you know, everyone. Erling Haaland's in there as well, you know, all these amazing players and then you've got all these English lads who were at the top of the thing. So it's down to down to the Premier League to, to showcase these guys and it's down to the uh the England manager, Gareth Southgate, to try and uh, get the best out of them and not waste this golden generation because we all know what happened when we had that amazing team of sort of in you know the early two thousands, mid two thousands, and uh, we had that golden generation of of players in the England team, and they didn't quite cut it 
on the international stage. So if you're looking at these guys, I mean, there's clearly another generation there and there's clearly a chance for them to all go on to be top players. So you'd hope that they can actually do it. Steve mentioned there that, you know, the majority of these players are in their early 20s or even younger. I mean, the oldest player that's on this top 20 list that we've got in front of us here is Barcelona's Antoine Griezmann, who's 29 years of age. Most of these players are young players. And I said in the intro to the podcast, absolutely stunned that Cristiano Ronaldo isn't in the top 40 of most valuable players. Now, of course, this is done via number crunching and lots of computers and things like that. But he's well into his mid 30s. So, as much as it's a surprise that he's not there, Steve, do you think that his age is kind of letting him down a little bit here? Yeah, because I think Cristiano's a phenomenon, is he? And the fact that, what is, is Cristiano about, what is he, about 34, 35 now? Is he something like that? Mm, definitely around that mark, it's just yeah, because for sure. He's, because he's so evergreen and he's just such a phenomenal athlete and, you know, he's he's like almost like a bit of a Michael Jordan of football, isn't he? You know, what, what, what he's done and... Um, I think there's a few, there's a couple of anomalies in there. I think um, you know Cristiano, you know, being in there for, for one. I think you know Virgil not being in there, and I think Anton Griezmann being so high because he's uh, he's had an absolutely wretched time at Barcelona, hasn't he? Um, but I think that um, with Ronaldo, yeah, he's just absolutely exceptional, and I think that um, he should be on that list for for what he's done at a variety of teams because this is the argument that I've had with many people over the years when you know the old Messi and Ronaldo debate comes up um, I think that mm. Ronaldo has done it at a variety of clubs and um, I think he's done it on the international scene as well because he's won honours with Portugal hasn't he and um, uh, you know whereas I think you know Messi's been at one club and obviously there's nothing there's not been any success with Argentina and I just think that um, that's what sets him apart from everyone else and I think the physical attributes and his mentality mm. means that he's got to make a list like that Mm. Yeah, we won't open that can of worms. Who's better, Messi or Ronaldo? We'll save that one for a rainy day. <laughs> uh, but just a final comment on this uh, from both of you two. Out of those players that we've seen, we, we've read out the top 10. Who's most likely to be world class on this list? Who do you think's really going to take their game to the next level in the next couple of seasons? Let's start with you, Marley, shall we? Uh, I, well, I'd be surprised if all of them didn't. Um, but if you're talking about who's got the highest the highest peak, I would say at the minute I'm looking at Jaden Sancho. Um purely because obviously Mbappe is already there, um, but he's doing it in the French League. There's maybe, I mean, I've got no doubt that he can do it in any league in the world, but the fact is that he hasn't quite yet. Um, Sterling's 25. I think Sterling's at his peak now. I don't think he can get, I don't think he can get much better. I think if he maintains this peak, he'll still be a world-class winger for the next few years, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think he's uh, he's at his peak now. Um, the fact that Sancho is five years younger than Sterling is is madness. Like he's at this level now, and he's only twenty, and he's only just turned twenty. He's had the the balls to move away from England as a teenager and back himself, which is massive respect to to do that because so many. So there's there's so many other Jaden Sancho's in the in the world in the past that just haven't took that plunge and have have got a bit comfortable and and been a little bit suppressed by the clubs and not quite used and maybe wasted talent a little bit. Um, and he had the the cojones to just go, no, hang on, I'm I'm a really good player, I can do it. And fair play to Dortmund who scouted him enough and uh, got him on a, an absolute steal from uh, from Man City. So of the top five, I'm I'm thinking Sancho for me. 
Um, he's done it in the Bundesliga. He's in the England squad. He's, he seems to have his head screwed on properly. Um, there's going to be a massive move for him uh, at some point. Probably not this summer. Maybe next year, I would say. Um, probably going for comfortably over a hundred million quid. So, and then you know you've got ten years of him before he even hits thirty at this age. So, out of the out of the top five, I would probably say Sancho's got the biggest uh, ceiling, the highest ceiling for me. I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten track. I'm going to go with Alfonso Davis, the Bayern Munich defender, who, as you mentioned, Sancho's only 20. Alfonso Davis is only 19. He's under contract at Bayern until 2025. But I think, genuinely, even though he's a defender, he will be the first world-class North American footballer we've ever seen. I think it's quite interesting that Canada could possibly have a world-class soccer player before the United States do. And I think from what we've seen in the Bundesliga over the last couple of weeks since its restart and from what we've seen from Alfonso Davis that explosive pace that dynamism that vision that he's got the ability to get up and down like an absolute train I think really we could see if he continues it at a top club like Bayern Munich a real world-class player develop from Alfonso Davis so yeah I mean that would be my pick Steve who are you going with? Um, Do you know I think you're right about Alfonso Davis he's not my pick by the way I think that Bayern Munich have got a player on the hands there who's absolutely brilliant for for Canadian football as well. Um, The only thing I'd say about Alfonso Davis is that he does give the ball away quite a lot. Um, But but that will come um, because I I looked at his stats and I think in one game he gave the ball away 28 times. Um, So there's work to do there, but I think it's very exciting about him. I think Kylian Mbappe, you know, far and away I look forward to him joining Liverpool and um, <laughs> and I think if I was to pick someone um, because Marley's picked Sancho and he's put good good justification in for Sancho I, I'm going to go for Trent Alexander-Arnold obviously shock um, shock, shock uh, as you can expect um, I just think that you know we've got a 21 year old lad who's, who's playing at right back and who is running the game uh, for Liverpool from right back at times so I think the impact and his position in the team and, and what he's achieved in such a short career as well, um, I think is outstanding. And I think he's he's played at the highest level. He's, he's won the highest honours in, in club football, um, would it be in the Champions League and um, hopefully soon the Premier League as well. At such a young age, he's brilliant. And I just think that the sky's the limit for him. I think he's going to keep getting better and better. And I think once we've got a player who maybe is 24 years of age, um, you know, in three seasons' time or two and a bit seasons' time, I'd be really interested to see how his role in the team has evolved. And so for me, I'll, I'll say Trent Alexander-Arnold. OK, well, good luck spending £260 million on Kylian Mbappe, considering you were too stingy to even spend 50 on Timo Werner. Look forward to seeing Mbappe roll up at Anfield <laughs> in the next couple of years. Well, yeah, apparently Nike are going to do the deal for us, mate. Does not sound out of the uh, out of the blue, if you ask me. Anyway, this is Football Social Daily. Time for a quick break, and afterwards we'll be talking about the Merseyside derby, Everton versus Liverpool. Liverpool could wrap up the Premier League title at the ground of one of their rivals. We'll also take a look at the latest top flight transfer news. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Uber Eats. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast packed with news and opinion. My name's Niall. Alongside me on today's podcast, Marley Anderson and Steve McNaughton. We've been discussing the 
Latest rankings from the CIES Football Observatory, the top 20 rated players in the world in terms of their value. We've also been talking about the Newcastle United takeover. But before we go any further into the show, I wanted to mention something which has impacted clubs a little bit further down the football pyramid. Now, this is to do with the third and fourth tier of English football, League One and League Two. Now, the season was yesterday voted to be curtailed and basically the season has been ended on a points per game basis. Clubs have been promoted via this method, clubs have been relegated via this method and clubs have been allocated a playoff spot via this method and there are several people who have said that they feel that it's been unfair but that's the way that it's been decided. It was voted on by a majority so that points per game was the way the season could be ended. Now there were lots of talks about this, we've spoken about it on this podcast in regards to how points per game might be used in the Premier League. Now of course we know that on June the 17th the season will be back up and running again and hopefully if we can avoid a second spike of coronavirus, we should be able to get the season finished in time to start the new one. However, if there is a second spike and coronavirus does rear its ugly head again and makes things difficult for the Premier League to be finished, is this the right blueprint for the Premier League to be finished, Steve? Do you think points per game is the right way to go if we just simply cannot get the Premier League season finished due to a second spike. A lot of people saying it's unfair. A lot of people saying it's the only or the fairest way that it could be done. What do you think? I think that if if we start playing some games and said if we got three or four games into into the you know the restarted season and we we did get a, a second spike that that we're hot, we're all hoping to avoid, I think they'd have to go points per game on it. I think it's unavoidable to do it. Um, is it for is it is it ideal? It's not, but it's probably the best way we can do it because we've seen with Tranmere um, yesterday a team that are uh, relatively close to us, uh, Liverpool. You know they've been relegated um, for, from their division on it, and um, it's just what we'd need to do really. I think if we've tried to start the season and we've been hindered again by a second wave of, of coronavirus there's not there's not a lot more we can do really i mean we can't stop it again for another three or four months and say let's let's start it again and put all this testing in place and so on and so forth i think we've just got to you know admit defeat in restarting the season and i think if we're going to do it i think we'll probably find out after about two or three games four games if if, if that's going to happen but like i said we, we all want to avoid it um, because there's going to be three teams that are going to be relegated from it because you'd have to relegate three teams out of the Premier League. I think having a 22-team season next season will be too much of a stretch and I think five teams being relegated will be quite stressful for a lot of teams as well. And um, it, It's just unfortunate, but it's just how we're going to have to roll with the punches on it, unfortunately, now. Marley, what do you think? Do you think if we can't get this season finished, we're due to restart, of course, in seven days' time. If things can't get back up and running again and finished fully, do you think points per game is the way to go to decide things? Well, um, as disappointing as it as it would be for it to come to that, I, I don't really think there's much of a an alternative. I think maybe that's that's the only way. It would be sad to to do that, but as we've said before, I mean, you can't just cancel everything and and uh, have you know twenty nine games which didn't mean anything. But um, yeah, I would I would say points per game would probably have to be the only the only solution. So um, it's it's the most fair one on everyone, I think, um, while being kind of unfair at the same time. But it is what it is. It's it's the same for everyone, isn't it? So yeah, maybe maybe that's the way to go. If if we do get a a second spike or a second peak or whatever you want to call it, and we do have to curtail it, then. 
I suppose that is the way to keep everyone relatively happy. I don't think anyone can really um, argue against it because there is no there is no other option really. I don't think. Speaking of keeping people happy, Steve. You'll be happy. The Merseyside derby will be played at Goodison Park, which means there's a chance that if Manchester City slip up against Arsenal next Wednesday, Liverpool could secure their first Premier League title for 30 years at the home of their cross-city rivals, Everton. Now, there were talk of this game being played at a neutral venue. It was one of only two fixtures released by the Premier League that had venue TBC to the side of it. The other one was Manchester City against Liverpool. I mean, talk of St. Mary's as a neutral venue. I mean, that's as far away from Liverpool as you could pretty much possibly get in terms of a Premier League venue. But now we understand that the Liverpool City Council Safety Advisory Group have taken a look at the documents that were submitted to them on Friday and they have come to the decision that they feel it will be safe enough for the game to be played at Goodison Park. As a Liverpudlian, Steve, is this the right call for you? Do you think this is the right decision? Um, I think it probably is. I think, you know... If, it, if I was involved in the decision-making process, would, would I have played the game at Goodison? I, pro- I probably wouldn't. Um, I think, you know, we were talking off air before. I think there is more suitable venues to play it. I think, you know, there's... Um, I would have looked at Finch Farm because I think, you know, they've got a Premier League standard pitch uh, at Finch Farm, which they maybe could have played the game at. Um, but I think if you were going to do it in a neutral venue, you would have to go to a place which is quite difficult for fans to get to on a Sunday evening, and Saint Mary's certainly is is you know one of them places as you'll know from, um you know being uh, from near neighbouring uh, Portsmouth, um but at this case I I don't care where the game's played I just want to kind of get the lads on the pitch and chalk off these games I think I don't think it'll pan out like that I think it'll it'll end up be, I, I expect Man City to beat Arsenal. Uh, and I expect us to uh, to be get to get a draw at Goodison because they'll be coming out all guns blazing because they will not want you know potential Liverpool victory to to win the title that you know because that's something that will be rubbed in for a long time. There's a lot of needle there and they get a lot of stick Everton because they've not won anything for 25 years and the fact that Liverpool are in a bit of a purple patch at the minute and they're winning quite a lot of trophies will, will you know be insult to injury and I think that. Um, yeah, it, it's one of them. It is what it is. But my major concern is just getting the guys on the pitch and start chalking these games off because I'm worried about a second spike, you know, just coming outside football for a second. I think, you know, with with everything that's going on and the measures that are being put in place and the confusion around lockdown restrictions being um, relaxed, I think, you know, it's inevitable that we may see a, a bit of a second spike. So, I just hope that you know we can safely get some games out of the way, um, and and you know we avoid a points per game situation that we've just discussed. Then, mm, just quickly, then, Steve, for those people that might not understand too much about the geography of the city of Liverpool, obviously Stanley Park is a, is a big green space which separates Anfield and Goodison Park. They're around about half a mile apart, if I'm uh, not mistaken. So, what were the kind of concerns and um, issues raised by? the council about staging the Merseyside derby at Goodison Park what were some of the kind of problems that people were feeling that would be encountered uh, the, the big problem that the perceived problem which I think was a little bit unfair was was the Liverpool fans um, you know because the, the, you know Joe Anderson come out and said that he didn't think that it could be safely done because he didn't think that Liverpool fans would stay away and I think that we're at that point now where with anything you've got a very small minority who will not follow instruction 
and they'll they won't follow um, requests that are put in place for the safety of people. You might get hundred people trying to get outside Goodison, um, you know, because it's such. Uh, a big game, uh, first game back from Project Restart. But I think some of the concerns are around the infrastructure because, as you know, a couple of guys yourselves, uh, Niall and Miley, have been to Goodison Park and have, have sampled what it's like around there. It's in a very tight area. Um, you know, the roads and the little winding streets around Goodison Park um, uh, are quite busy, you know, for the, for the setup there and, and the major com- commuter routes as well because, of course, you can get on City East Lanks Road by, by going past Goodison and carry on, carry, carrying on down for a couple of miles. Um, and they're the links to all the motorways as well. Um, and then the other side of it, you've got, you know, if you're coming up Scotland Road or if you're coming down County Road, it's just, you've got this kind of like, I mean, I don't know what the mile radius would be, but you've got this really condensed area. And I think if a lot of people come into that, that patch, it's going to make life difficult. So I think the police have got, the work cut out closing the roads around there and making sure that traffic can't get near Goodison Park and um, there's going to need to be a, a, a quite a high police presence to stop people using the streets around there and, and respecting what what's being asked of them. Um, I think Everton fans will, will gladly stay away from the ground on that day. I don't think any of them have got any interest in being around Goodison Park. Um, I think there might be a minority of Liverpool fans that do try and get quite close to it, certainly if they live in the area. And, and I just like like the club would request that they don't do that. You know that they stay away, and not that I've got any real authority like that. But um, I just hope that that they would they would honour that. But I believe that the club are going to be putting out some you know social media messages, and there's going to be some stuff going out via you know, LFC TV. And I think Jurgen is going to put an appeal out for fans to stay away from Goodison Park. You know, so the game can be played properly without any disruption, and um, and hopefully. You know, because we're in a situation where we're quite fortunate. Where for in these nine games, if Man City slip up even once, it's pretty much done. You know what I mean? Um, so you know, I expect us to to you know get this get, get these couple of games won, and I think we'll we'll just kind of do what we can for the rest of the season and be guided by the authorities. Everton haven't won a Merseyside derby for a decade, so you just know Everton go and beat Liverpool for the first time and none of their fans uh, will be able to see it in the stadium. You just know that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, anyway, time to talk transfer news for the last couple of minutes of the podcast. Uh, it's all Chelsea still, Marley. They want Kai Havertz now. We've spoken about Timo Werner on the podcast. We know that they've been interested in Jadon Sancho, but it's another Bundesliga man they're after this time. Kai Havertz, who's, uh, who's a player who's kind of been on the radars of a few top clubs over the last couple of windows. Um, Chelsea really aren't pulling any punches in this transfer window if all the rumours are to be believed. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea look like they're, they're trying to make up for lost time and the, uh, that transfer window they've lost has, has uh, give them a, a serious war chest when they've come back. I mean, they've just swooped for, for, for Werner when uh, Liverpool were dragging the heels a bit. Uh, and now they've turned to to have it, so it's, it's uh, not done yet, Mali. <laughs> uh, it's it's over, Steve. It's over. <laughs> um, but no, Kai Havertz looks looks the right player, doesn't he? I mean, I think he's only is he nineteen, something like that. So he's been uh, he's been amazing since uh, the Bundesliga restarted, and he's uh, he's definitely one of these sort of elite uh, talents in the uh, in the European game. So. I'd be surprised if he went to Chelsea. I think it'll take a lot for um, for him to go. I mean, it, it would take 75, 80 million. Um, and I don't think Leverkusen are quite uh, ready to let him go. I've heard of talks with some Spanish clubs, maybe Real Madrid, about loaning him back for a year and trying to sweeten 
Leverkusen up a little bit. So I think there's a hell of a long way to go in this in this move. I'd be surprised if anything happened uh, in the in the next few weeks, and maybe it'll be one for you know towards the end of the year. Maybe if uh, if anyone's gonna prize him away from Leverkusen, but there's clearly going to be a big move for him because as we said before, I mean, not many players stick around in Germany for a long time and I'm, I don't know about anyone else, I'm I'm sick of Bayern hoovering up all the top talent, it'd be an absolute waste if he went to Bayern, I would like to see someone like him go somewhere else and make a success of him himself in a in a Spanish league or an English league, so Chelsea, uh, Chelsea fancy him and fair play if they're going to shell out that kind of money, but they won't be the only ones that, with eyes on him. There'll be a lot of clubs who, who fancy a move for Kai Havertz because he looks a right talent. Yeah, definitely. Steve, I know it's someone you've been keen to pick up at Liverpool over the last couple of transfer windows too. Yeah, definitely. You know, he's a player. And since the you know the Bundesliga has restarted, he's been on fire, hasn't he? And he had a good game against um, uh, Rangers in the uh, Europa League as well, didn't he? And th- there's a player in there. And there's a player. Germany, you know, have this knack of, of producing... Players like Havertz and and Werner and um, they tr- they transition really well to the national team as well because obviously history shows that Germany have had really good showings at World Cups and and European Championships over the last few decades. But this guy looks class. Um, you know he's he, he I think again if he carries on with his development, I think he's he's going to go for more than that. And I just think that even though he would probably you know come to Liverpool if the opportunity was there, I think. We're in a bit of a situation where we can't really spend on players big because they're not going to start, really. Um, you know, you're going to struggle to bring anyone in who's better than any of the front three at Liverpool. Um, besides the obvious people like Mbappe, you know, who, who would obviously start. But, um, you know, Werner wouldn't start for Liverpool. He would be, you know, we would have to change formation to accommodate him and, Havertz isn't probably going to dis, you know, displace Henderson, uh, Wijnaldum or, or Fabinho or, or Naby Keita at this at this point. Um, he's a phenomenal talent. You know, I think realistically we've got to look at it. And when we're linked with these German players, especially we're having a German manager, of course, um, which adds fuel to the fire. The reality is we're not going to spend 70, 80, 90, even 100 million on a player that isn't going to start games for us every single week. It's just... Not going to happen. Squad depth is a problem at Liverpool. We know that because I think even I question Origi long term. I think you know he, I don't think he does enough. Um, I think he scored some really important goals for the club, and he's got legendary status after scoring, you know, late goals against Everton, against Barcelona, against Tottenham in the Champions League final. Um, but we do need a bit more quality to come off the bench, and I think signing someone who's better than Origi who's happy to sit on the bench every week in the Premier League um, and only get opportunities if one of the front three need resting or whether they're injured. It's quite a difficult position Liverpool are in from a transfer point of view because it doesn't make any sense to spend 50, 60 million, up to 100 million on players at the moment. And certainly in the current financial situation, um, like Jürgen said, you know, when we're asking players to you know, do particular waivers in terms of money and salaries and stuff like that it doesn't feel right to actually bring in a player who's we're going to have to pay 200 grand a week for and, and shatter our wage structure so I, I think it's disappointing not to sign these players and not be involved in the mix and um but it, it's just we're realists you know we, we've got to be realistic about it mm, yeah definitely well what about being realistic for Wilfred Zaha Marley because he's been talking 
about a move away from Crystal Palace once again, this time speaking to ex-Man United and England defender Rio Ferdinand on his Five YouTube channel. In an interview with Rio, he said, if there's a chance for him to win trophies, he will 100% think about moving on from Crystal Palace. Now, he handed in a transfer request last summer. There was lots of interest from Arsenal. He was an Arsenal fan growing up. He said that he idolised Thierry Henry and he hasn't given up hope on a possible move to a club which might win him trophies. The only thing is, is he's going to be 28, 29 soon and I don't think that age is really on his side, but he is a player that knows the Premier League well. Has his moment passed, do you think, Marley? Do you think that his chance of that big move was last summer and it never came? Uh, potentially, yeah. I mean, you're right. Time, Time's definitely not on his side. It's very clear that he doesn't want it. He doesn't want to play for Crystal Palace. Come on. Like, if you're if you're a Crystal Palace fan thinking, listening to this thinking, well, he signed a new five-year contract. He did that to try and get the, the club some money in a transfer fee. But the reality was nobody wanted to sign him. No top six clubs really wanted to sign him. The only club that wanted him was Everton. And Everton aren't in the top six. They aren't in Europe. They didn't have Ancelotti at the time. Uh, and they would have had to pay, what was it, what did they want, 65, 70 million for him? And Arsenal decided to go for Pepe instead. And uh, as a result, Everton ended up going for Alexi Wobey instead for, for, for 30, 25, 30 million quid which is another baffling move, but that's another one for another podcast on Everton's dodgy transfer business. Um, but for Zaha, yeah, but for Zaha, I mean, he is one of the best wingers in the league. However, he's, I don't know, it's a lot of money to pay for a guy who's not done it at the top level. And I know you can't do it at the top level without giving, being given a chance to. But I, I just wonder, was he better off letting his contract run down and, and then definitely getting a move to another club? Because there will be a club better, bigger and better than Crystal Palace um, that want him, even if it's for nothing. But he, he stayed and he signed the contract and now it's going to take anyone a huge fee to prize him away and take that chance on him because he's, he's 27, 28. Uh, he's nearly sort of past his peak and... Yes, he's talented. Yes, he's he's very good. But I think the time may have may have passed. And I think if you're going to spend that type of money, you're going to look at the list we've just been talking about in the first half of the podcast and saying, can we get any of these guys for a for a cheaper um, a cheaper sum than seventy five, eighty million quid? Like let's let's go and sign a nineteen year old. Jaden Sancho was eleven million. I think a lot of teams are looking at teenagers who might go on to get to the level of Zaha quicker than Zaha might get to the world-class level. So I think maybe he's uh, he's maybe one of them players who's better off being um, a, a big fish in a, in a relatively small pond. Uh, if you stuck him in the Man United team like he was in 2012, yes, he was too young for that, to be honest. Um, but if you went and stuck him in the Chelsea team, would he get in ahead of Hudson-Odoi? And all the talent they're bringing in, probably not. He wouldn't get in the Liverpool team. Arsenal, he might have a chance, but they've they're cutting back on. You know, they've signed Pepe for a, a hell of a load of money. Spurs, probably not. You know, so where do you go from there? Maybe abroad. I don't know. But I, it it seems like he's missed the boat, and it's a little bit sad for him because I don't think we'll ever see what a player he could have been at a top club. Because I think that time's gone. Yeah, I totally agree. I think. Maybe the hype over Zaha was accentuated because of the excellent season he had in what was a bang average Crystal Palace team and 
and still are. And I think that's where Roy Hodgson deserves plenty of credit because a lot of people, including me, felt that Crystal Palace would struggle quite severely this season in staying up in the Premier League. That hasn't been the case, Steve, and they've remained solid in the in the top flight this season. Um, what about your final thoughts on Zaha before we wrap up the show? You know, do do a rate Zaha. I think he's I think he's a good player. Um, but again, you know, you, you guys are right. Time is not on his side. Um, and I think this is something he's been trying to sort for the last couple of years, hasn't it? Because the Man United move previously probably come a bit too early for him. And, and um, there's uh, a couple of little stories behind the scenes, which we won't go into about his time at Man United as well, uh, which I'm sure you guys know what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> but again, I just think in the financial climate, um, you know, no one paid the level of cash that Crystal Palace um, You know, Man United are losing money. Uh, Tottenham have to, you know, the Bank of England and get a massive loan because... You know, their revenues are massive, massively down due to you know, the lack of concerts and the lack of NFL and the, the lack of games at the new stadium, which they were banking on. Um, you know, Liverpool are being quite frugal at the moment and keeping the powder dry, which, like Marley said, he wouldn't, he wouldn't get into the team anyway. It probably is going to be someone like, uh, you know, it could be a Newcastle if the takeover goes through. You know, it could be someone like that who goes, actually, marquee signing, we'll go and spend... 50, 60 million quid on him and, and we'll get him in the team because that's the type of signing that would get people buzzing up at Newcastle and people going, actually, we are serious and we do want to kind of make you know inroads into getting higher up the league. So I could only really see new money coming in and sp- and spending it on Zahar. I don't think any of the other teams um, that I've just mentioned, the Chelsea won't sign him um, because I think they've got better options at the minute. And... Um, Arsenal won't sign it because obviously they've got Pepe uh, that he spent big on uh, 12 months ago. And um, he's running out of options. And I think, you know, he's not going to go to Germany because Bayern or Dortmund aren't going to sign him for that level of cash. Um, He's not going to go to Spain because there's only two teams in Spain that fight out for it, isn't it? Barcelona and Real Madrid. And, you know, Juventus, Napoli aren't going to spend that cash on him and PSG aren't and Lyon. So his options are very limited. And I know he wants to talk about winning trophies, but... Um, there's, there's at the moment there's only two teams you could see challenging for the Premier League. Um, there's some teams with good cup pedigree, but he, he's going to struggle, I think, um, unfortunately, because I do think that the chance should have been should have been 12, 18 months ago. Um, you know, I think if the Everton deal could have gone through, he could have maybe got a decent cup run out of Everton, but he's never going to challenge for the league, unfortunately. Mm. Right, okay, that's it for today's Football Social Daily. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Marley. Cheers, Cheers boys. Don't forget to hit subscribe to the podcast. You'll never miss another show again, especially as in a week's time when the Premier League is back, we'll be back to our seven-day-a-week schedule. And you don't want to miss that. So many games, so many talking points. We'll see you there on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.